0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. Hey, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. At this time, kids, you're dismissed. Ages 7 and below can head back with Mr. Peter Leeper. Thanks for joining us for, for worship, guys. We are starting the book of Mark this sunday and i'm really excited here's a quick question and i'm going to give you four answers to it why in the world are we going to study the book of mark number one jesus we're going to study the book of mark because of jesus i fell in love with jesus um at a young age and and i want to know him more i don't i want to learn more about him not just about stories I want to know Jesus more. And so we're going to live in this book for a while. Uh, number two, the good news. You'll see when we start this book, this Gospel means the good and that you're going to hear over and over again is where's the good news in this passage? What's the good news here? And I think just to equip you as moms and dads and husbands and wives and, and students as you go out, uh, uh, let's be asking that question a lot. Community group leaders, when you're leading, what is the good news here today that we're, that we're learning, that we're studying? We want to be asking that question a lot. Number three, uh, gospel fluency. Why are we studying the book of Mark? Uh, this guy named um, uh, Vanderstelt, Jeff Vanderstelt coined the, the phrase gospel fluency, and it means this. We don't just want to like learn stories about Jesus so that our biblical literacy is high so we can like repeat it or parrot it. We know what He said, and we want to be able to not only apply it to our lives, but we want to be able to speak Jesus' stuff into our everyday stuff. We want to use God's Word in the life of others and in our own lives as well. And, um, and this is a wonderful place to do it. So taking God's Word and applying it to everyday stuff of our life. Gospel fluency. Just a quick four. And I would say to see that, as, uh, that our God is a God of second chances. Um, this, I was reminded of a, a quote. Uh, John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he was a pastor and he wrote letters to his congregation frequently and at one time, there was this, this um, person who was struggling with addictions and habitual sin, and, he, and John Newton wrote him in a, le- a letter, and he said, Though your addictions and sin are great, mercy comes." the great song, uh, uh, Our sins are, are many, but His mercy is more. And so um, Mark uh, himself, the Gospel writer, it, it, his story is very redemptive. Uh, He had a big old fight with Paul. They separated for a while. Paul at one point even said he was useless. But we're going to see how God used Mark to write this book. And then even how through creative narratival devices that Mark weaves his own story into this. And we're going to just see uh, a beautiful story of redemption, even in the life of Mark. So God is a God of second chances. Let me just give you a preview of, of um, where we're headed as a church in the book of Mark. Um, I don't mean like winter, spring, summer, or fall. By seasons, I mean media intake. People remember things by like episodes and then, oh, did you see season two of that? Oh, I saw season three and da da da. They remember things by seasons. And, and um, specifically, um, we're going to go through the book of mark in seasons okay there's um there's on this slide there are three seasons depicted and it's broken up by geography okay now here's the deal if you ask anyone um hey what's your story nine people out of ten are going to break up their story by way of geography Okay, they're going to say, "Well, I was born here, and I was raised, and all the way up to 18, that this where I lived, and then I went to college here, right?" And so they're they're saying they're 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 framing it in geographical uh, terms. After college, I moved around a little bit, but then I got my first job here, and then I got married, and now I'm here, right? So in this this uh, book we're going to see really three major geographical movements. Season 1, which is going to be which is going to lead us all the way up to the summer, is going to be in Galilee, okay? We'll take a little break in the summer and look at the book of First John, and then we'll jump back into Mark and by the end of 2024 we're still going to be in Galilee, okay? Where Jesus expands his ministry beyond Galilee and he kind of um, is, is along the way. And then the last part, um, which will probably hit sometime 2025-ish, whatever, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, we'll call it Jerusalem. And uh, so as you can see, we're going to be in this for a while. The women are studying the book of Mark right now. It's not too late to sign up for that Bible study. The men are in the book of Mark. It's going to be like a whole year of, of immersing ourselves in Jesus. Therefore, guess what? I think it's going to be a great year. Are you ready? Let's start our time together. Put your finger on Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That's where I'd like to draw your attention. And if you would, imagine with me, fences, can you kind of imagine that in your mind? There's a judge, there's like nice, nice oak walls and starchy... Yeah, it's just, you know, and picture a courtroom scene, okay? Um, When attorneys um, think through how to win their case, how to support their case, it's really crucial who they ask um, to put on the stand for a witness. It can either make or break their case. And today, Mark does the same thing he calls upon seven witnesses he makes a statement about who jesus is and then he supports it with seven witnesses and that's what we're going to look at today the title for the message uh, it's kind of a 90s throwback i want you of these witnesses contribute to a unique facet of the person and work of jesus christ look at verse 2 and 3. you see how it's kind of indented in your bible This is the witness of Isaiah. He's going to say something unique, something special about this Jesus guy. Look at verses 4-8. through Just kind of skim through it. This is a character called John the Baptist. Mark spends four verses talking about what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Mark calls upon the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and witnesses to the testimony of Jesus. A little bit further, look at uh, verse 11. We have God the Father as a witness of Jesus. Verse 12, we're going to talk about Satan today. 13, we see angels witnessing and doing uh, uh, minutes up today with a surprising note in that Jesus Himself gets on the stand and testifies about Himself. He's going to affirm His sonship And he's going to communicate the Gospel. And so Mark uses this introductory material with almost these quick cameos, these witnesses. And what are they all saying? Well, we're going to find that out in verse 1. So would you meet me there? Let's start this book together. This is the thesis of the first half of the book. Verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel, which is the good news... Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There we go. Let's pause for a second. Do you know it? Do you see it? What's the thesis of Mark? What's he trying to accomplish? He makes this big statement right away that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is no small assertion. You, maybe you've grown up in the church, you've heard this a lot, And it's like you kind of of just roll over it and you take it with a grain of salt. But this is the most significant claim ever made. That this person who walked on the earth is the Son of God. The phrase, the Son of God, um, it, it wasn't coined by Mark. It was actually coined by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. How many of you have ever read the book of Daniel or ever seen any veggie tales or things like that? Okay. We all know our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't bow down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar uh, erected. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, Well, we're going to throw them in the fiery furnace. They were thrown by these guards, and even the guards died because it was so hot. But God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It said that not even uh, they're in the fire. The amazing thing is that when Nebuchadnezzar peered in the furnace, he didn't see just three guys, but he saw? That's right, he saw four. And his reaction, let me read it for you. The reaction was was incredible. He answered and said, this is in chapter 3 of 25. You don't need to go there. But I see four men. The fourth man, catch this, ready? Is like a son of the gods. Mark now takes that verbiage from Nebuchadnezzar and says, actually, he's not like the sons of the gods. He is the son of the singular God. The one who walked in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's now walking with us. Well, how is Mark going to support that claim Let's start looking at our witnesses. Meet me in verse 2. I'll read each one of these witnesses and their verses for us, okay? I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Similar to me, all I do is look... Okay, if it's indented, that means it's probably from the Old Testament. Where's that from? And in my Bible, I have a little B next to big number two, which is our verses. And I follow that little using your cross references in your Bible. Isaiah 40, um, I checked out Isaiah 40 for you. And it starts off with this Isaiah 40 Comfort thee, my people. Isaiah 40 is typically called the great comfort passage. What's Mark doing here? If you were an original reader during this time, and if, if this announcement is said that says prepare the way of the Lord, the original reader has two options. Should I be afraid? Or is this good news? And we know contextually that Mark is already saying this is good news, and he's going to reaffirm the people by saying, I'm going to quote a comfort passage that Jesus, who is coming, who is the one that you've been waiting for, he's going to bring good news that's going to comfort you. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Get excited. And what is the good news that you should be comforted about? The good news, and who is Jesus, is the Lord. He's the Lord. He is God. Which isn't a small statement, as well. He is saying, Mark, by quoting Isaiah, that the one who is coming, the Son of God, and who is now here, is God. Already in verse 2 and 3, very start of the book for us, Mark has and can offend a lot of people. Have you ever talked to a Hindu? Have you ever talked to a Muslim? Those guys are fine with Jesus. They're fine with Him being a teacher. They're fine with Him being a prophet. I've talked to many Muslims. Once you make the claim, the statement, the truth, that Jesus is God, it's an entire. I think the biggest thing that offends people with that is the exclusivity of your statement that Jesus is God. Because it, 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 it rules out for Hindus all the other gods, the 300 million other gods. It rules out for the Muslims, Muhammad, and their view of who Allah is. It's exclusive in nature. And while that doesn't necessarily feel good sometimes in this culture it's true it's right and it's not our job to control the results but it is our job to offer the truth give away the ending for clarity's sake let your eyes go to verse 15 peek at it with me this passage is going to end with Jesus saying repent and believe in the Gospel, okay? Um, Each witness is is calling you to a specific thing to believe in and repent from. And so, after each witness, we're going to just ask this question, do you believe that witness? And so church, do you believe Isaiah? Do you believe that he was and is God? Do you believe that he was the one that the Old Testament people were waiting for? Do you believe that he is Lord and is he Lord of your life? That's the effect or the function of the first witness. Let's go to the second witness, John the Baptist. Let your eyes find verse 4 with me. So just back to that illustration, the Son of God and Mark's going to go, well, Let's call John the Baptist to the stand. John, welcome. Let's hear from you. All right, here's the witness. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. And wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, After me, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, there's our John the Baptist witness. He's, he paints a picture for us. He says a few things about the scene, okay? He says, hey, John the Baptist, this dude, he's proclaiming a baptism of the forgiveness of sins and repentance, Okay. He paints the picture and says, tons of people are coming out and getting baptized. And he also says that this guy's dressed really weird and he's eating weird stuff. He's on this strange diet where he's eating locusts and honey. He's wearing like uh, camel's fur and he's got this belt on. And we're like, okay, sweet. Uh, Let's check out what he's saying, okay? What is this witness saying about Jesus? And two, he is permanent okay, let's look at the unworthy part. He's saying, hey, I'm unworthy to even untie the sandals of this guy. It's a big statement because Jesus in the book of Matthew says, um, he was talking to his disciples and Jesus said, of all the men in all the world that has ever been born of a woman, which means everybody, thank you, there's none better than John the Baptist, okay? Okay. Who's the best man you know? Wasn't better than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the best man ever to be born. Well, you have to be born of a virgin. You have to be the best man and God. You have to be the God-man. So John the Baptist is not worthy of the God-man because there's only one of those and that's jesus mark more than a man he's the god man and then he says i baptize with water but this guy this guy baptizes baptizes with the baptism of the holy spirit meaning hey I baptized with water which means hey come on ask for forgiveness of sins but essentially like this baptism is kind of temporary like you'll get wet and then you'll dry off and then you get dirty again and things like that. that was like the old system right but when this guy comes when you repent and believe in him he'll give you. that's a permanent thing and you'll be eternally washed of your sins What's Mark doing he's saying Jesus, the Son of God, is coming, and He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that's a permanent thing. And friends, that's good news. Let me say it again, okay? Verse 15 ends with repent and believe. Church, do you believe John the Baptist as a witness? That Jesus will wash away your sins forever and give you the Holy Spirit. If you have already done that, have you forgotten that? Do you need to be reminded of that today and be freed of your sin and your guilt? If you've never believed in that, and that's the first time you've heard that Jesus grants forgiveness of sins and gives the Holy Spirit to be clean forever, I'm glad you're here today. Well, uh, question, can Jesus do that? Does Jesus have the authority to send the Spirit? Well, let's call on the Holy Spirit. Mark says, let's put the Holy Spirit on the stand. Come on, Holy Spirit. Find verse 9 with me. Here we go. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, He immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove all right side note and if your if your mind is wandering at all you can just look up at this window right here we got a whole window dedicated to these verses so isn't it a great window it's beautiful okay in in this text mark uses the word immediately for the first time we're going to see this word a lot his his gospel mark's gospel you get this idea that that it, he's in a hurry. Like, there's an urgency to this gospel. It's the shortest gospel. I mean, look at we don't even have a testimony of Jesus' birth. He like, he's, like, he's like pumping it out. It's bullet point. I depict mean, him and have stories of churches build like windows and all Mark does is like, quick, I want you to tell this. I want you to do this. He's like this NFL announcer, like making sure he gets his information in before the next play. You should feel this this urgency and this depiction that Mark is doing this. Ready? Hey, readers, I want you to see that Jesus was on a mission. So, buckle up, he says, essentially. And then he jumps right in. All right, so we're seeing that the first character mentioned in this baptism is the Holy Spirit, who came down like a dove. And so Mark is linking, does Jesus have the authority to send the Spirit? Yeah, He does. Watch this. The Holy Spirit Himself came down and affirmed Jesus' Sonship. That's a pretty good witness. The other person of the Trinity. Anyone else heard this story a lot, but like, just go there for a second. Imagine if you were there like by the water, and the, not just the clouds open up, not just the sky, like the very heavens itself open up. And you're looking up, and this voice from heaven says, in the, in like, in the greatest like Liam Nielsen tone ever, this is my son, <laughs> right? In whom I'm well pleased. The Father affirms Jesus as his Son. You need any more witnesses than that? The other two persons of the Trinity saying, yeah, He's God. He's my Son. I'm pleased with Him. Mark says, let's just continue. Let's continue to affirm His Sonship. I want you to know Jesus is the Son of God, and so I'm going to point something out to you. But before we do that, let me just ask, if this passage is calling us to repent and believe, do you believe in the other two persons of the Trinity? Do you believe the Spirit and the Father in their affirmation of the Son? Have you forgotten that? That Jesus was God's Son. Not not born and had a start, but He was of the same essence. Light of light, God of God, very God, from very God. Do you believe that? Because your view will heighten of Jesus. Which means your worship of Him will grow and grow. In because you want to love and pursue and be like Jesus. Do you believe this? Well, Mark does something more for us. He calls upon the stand um, God's opposition. He calls on the stand Satan. Look at it with me. Verse 12 the days being tempted by satan why would he do this why would he include satan as a cameo what in the world is mark doing here like here's what i think okay you got a whole bunch of witnesses so far who have gone like this yay jesus 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 all right all right and in one sense, Mark's saying, um, hey, does the opposition of Jesus even care? Like, is this a threat? Is this a big deal to, like, light and darkness and them clashing? Um, let me just bring up Satan for a second, okay? And, th- and that's what he does. It, it, um, it, I'm, here's, like, an illustration, okay? This is kind of trying to depict, does it even matter to Satan that Jesus is the Son of God? Um, So I went on on, on online. I went on the line. I I think you're familiar with that. Um, And I saw OSU's uh, schedule for this next year. in their first game, their opener, is against Akron. Okay. And it's like Akron. Whatever. What if you went onto Akron's website, and on on the website is advertised Ohio State's their number one rivalry. How would you respond as a Buckeye fan? You'd be like. I mean, I didn't even know Akron had a football team, right? It's like, and so it's like, if you don't introduce the opposition and how they feel, um, you can see, Mark wants to call up Satan to the stand and say, I want you to know how the opposition really feels. This is actually a rivalry. It's not OSU versus Akron. This This is the real deal. I think that's what he's doing. Again, this passage ends with repent and believe. The good news that Jesus is the Son of God. And you need to see and know here that Satan hates the Son of God. Is the opposite then true of you? Do you love and embrace Jesus for all He is? Do you you love His truths? Next up. Second to the last witness, let's hear from the angels. Look at verse 13 with me. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. What in the world? Mark, what are you doing here? This kind of stuff. And then he says that angels were ministering to him. Um, This is a little bit of a preview of the second half of the book. Let me show you, okay? You don't have to go there, but if you're what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man key key title key phrase that you would care for him you made him this is Jesus we are understanding you made him for a while a little lower than the angels you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet the author of Hebrews writes that Jesus is the Son of Man, which we've been talking about so far, the Son of God. We're seeing here in Mark that angels are ministering to him, and so he, for a little while, is a little lower than the angels. One more verse. It's from Hebrews 2.9, so just a little bit further down in that chapter, it says, But we see him who for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone mark stepping back gives us a quick snapshot uh, like of, or of a preview of the book that this jesus who is son of god who heals, and who feeds the 4,000, and who feeds the 5,000, who, who heals the paralytic. There's going to be different responses to him, but it, in, in general, you're going to go, wow, for the first eight chapters. I love the Son of God. I want to follow that Son. And then, the Son of God is going to look at Peter and he says, who do they say that I am? And they they say that you're the Son of God. Who do you say that I am? You're the Son of God! You're the Christ! You're the Messiah! And then he's going to say, I'm the... Sends us in a trajectory of Jesus downward. Being scourged and suffering and abandoned by his best friends. Tortured. Death. Cross. Grave. Resurrection. Victory. And the end of the book is going gonna, is gonna to be like this. We're going to be running, 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 running. And then he's going to go, oh! and it's all, all of a sudden going to stop. And it's this narrative device for you to go, oh, wait, I think, he's saying, I think he's saying, okay, I'm going to follow the Son of Man, but if I follow him, I, I also need to follow I'm going to follow the Son of God. Do I really want to follow the Son of Man? I'm all into His healings. I'm all into the the feeding. I'm all into... Am I into the suffering? Am I into the persecution? And as you take chapters 1-16, through you're going to be asked, will I follow all of Jesus? Or do I just kind of like some of Him? We're going to see it's costly and beautiful. And just like we sang, we're going to see that it's lovely. Leave the witness of the angels. We got some time, but we're going to be asked Will you follow Jesus, the Son of Man, the suffering servant, King? Well, last but not least, let's call the seventh witness to the stand. Let's call Jesus Christ. We've been talking about him let's hear from himself let's like let's call him to the stand and see what he says look at verse 15 sorry verse 14 with me now after john was arrested time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel what a great message he's saying the time is now hey everything you've been waiting for it's happening right now. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally, like, it's now. It's happening, and it's not just something to be like, sweet, like I'm just going to put it on a shelf and move on. It requires, it necessitates a response. Jesus calls you to repent and believe, not to sit neutral and say, yeah, you know, whatever neutral. No response, no decision is a decision. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then your call today is to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in this Jesus If you're a believer... And if your response is, well, I already did that. And so, it's not, that's not it. The reality is that if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust, there's actually one more witness, and it's you. You're the eighth witness. You're to take these witnesses and take it to the world. I'm so excited to be under God's word with you, to be studying the book of Mark. And I'm excited to Sunday after Sunday be immersed in the love of Jesus and in his ministry together. I'm so zealous to have us as a church make much of Jesus, not just at church, but in our, in our lives, Monday through Saturday, taking this, the truth of God's word and applying it to the real stuff of life. Let's close our service with a song, shall we? I'll pray. Luke and Anna, will you lead us? And it it is a song that beckons a response. A song that that leads you to not just say, oh, cool, that that was nice. But from God's Word, how has He worked? How will He grab your heart? so that you may be all His. And so let me pray, and we'll ask God to do a great work through His Word. Father, we love You, and we are so grateful for Your Son, Jesus. We're grateful for Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are looking to Your Son now for Him to, to move and transform our lives and to work in us and through us. Lord, we want to know Him more. And as Philippians 3 says, to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Lord, would You cause us where our faith has been weak to repent and believe, and Lord, would You draw those who haven't yet to yourself, that they may know you as their God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.